Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, everyone. Graham Couch here from the Lansing State Journal, alongside Chris Solari from the Detroit Free Press. Uh, in our separate little caves or lairs, what have you, after Michigan State's 40 to 21 win over Maryland uh, this Saturday evening. And, you know, look, this was a game, Chris, that Michigan State had to have um, look a little bit like this. There are moments, there are a couple of defensive possessions that were, were ugly. Um, you know, one fumble that was ill timed. But for the most part, they needed a feel good game. They needed a bounce back game. They needed to get their footing a little bit get some swagger and some confidence. Um, and because what's ahead of them in a week is a whole different, whole different beast. Yeah. I finally got home and got a chance to watch some of the Ohio state uh, highlights and they look as, as every bit is advertised. Um, not that we didn't know that, but um, they really put it on that same Purdue team that Michigan state played a week ago. Uh, I, I, you know, and looking back at, at the Michigan state game, cause I did, because we're doing this a little bit later than usual. Um, I was able to kind of watch back some of the, the game early uh, here late in the evening, if that makes any sense, but does to us. Um, and, and yeah, those, those couple possessions that, that they gave up the three touchdowns. Uh, I mean, they were quick strikes. I, I, I think they were two of those drives were less than a minute and they covered a lot of ground um, more than, 200 yards came on those three scoring drives, but there are other drives that got deep into the red zone, uh, whether it be off a turnover or, uh, you know, another long drive, uh, like the one at the beginning of the second half, um, you know, Michigan state came up and made some plays. Um, particularly I thought that they dialed up some blitzes in that second half with Noah Harvey and Cal Halliday and, and Xavier Henderson that I don't think Maryland was prepared for in watching it back. I think that led to uh, Talia Tagoviola throwing the ball away under duress and not really having any idea of what to do because the pressure was coming from so many different angles up the middle that that he had no clue that where it was coming from. And, and I thought that that was, that was a big key. You know, as much as we talk about Harvey's interception on that one drive, the pressures that he put late, uh, with Halliday and Henderson also helped that because that that discombobulated that Maryland offense that for a while was going at a really good rhythm. Yeah, no, I, I thought other than the the last possession of the first half by Maryland where it looked like they went into the worst prevent defense in the history of man way too early, um, I thought Scotty Hazelton had a good game after what, what wasn't a great week the week before. And, and the 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 timing of the blitzes was a big a big part of that and and will be a big part of it frankly at Ohio State in a lot of ways Maryland is like Ohio State light now very light relative to Ohio State but what I mean is there are some things that you know they've got some quick strike ability uh, in, in the passing game you know they're to beat them you're going to have to you can put up points if you're MSU and sort of set a pace 
And, um, and, and they did that today. I mean, next week's a whole, di- whole different deal. I thought there were some things offensively that were really important. I mean, they got it going with Kenneth Walker, and they talked about the idea that, uh, you know, they knew because they were putting an extra man in the box, it was going to be two yards and tough sledding early, and they were going to go- have to do it through the passing game, and eventually that would break. And I thought Jaden Reed, on a day that they really needed a go-to number one receiver, was that. He was outstanding and made some tough catches and some contested catches and, and Peyton Thorne was really good. But I think some of the stuff that happened, like, yeah, you know, I, I always bring up the 98 game when they upset Ohio state and the Cedric Irvin, 26 carries 52 yards and how important that was to everything they were able to do that day as a four touchdown underdog, because it, it created the illusion of balance. Right. And with Kenneth Walker, you have that ability. You have a guy who creates a level of respect and so they're going to have to deal with it next week, the same sort of deal. And I thought that was important this week with him. Yeah. You know, they, I mean, listen, they, they were playing down hard and that's how you get a third play flea flicker for, go for a, a yeah. fourth touchdown of the year. I mean, it's, if, if teams aren't preparing for that, I don't know what exactly they're doing during the week, but you know, they are coaches aren't dumb. They know that they've done it once. They've done it twice. They've done it three times, why not do it again? And it worked again. Um, and, and they're going to keep going back to that if teams are going to come down in the box like that on them. But I do think that, you know, once you started to see, uh, and I think some of it has to do with the offensive line situation. I mean, a lot of moving parts, um, you know, no no Jarrett Horse for the second straight week. Our Curry flips over to left tackle again, Jarvis on the right side. Um, so there's a little bit of of finding your way as a running back when, when everything is moving around because uh, you get used to it and accustomed to running behind certain guys, particularly, you know, uh, our Curry on the right side and Jarvis, when they were playing together there, Walker was running over them a lot in that Michigan game. And now you don't have horse. So you got to you got to change that up. No Matt Carrick. So you started to see some things where, um, you know, it, the, the starters were playing more, although they did. There was one uh, possession in the second half where they put it in the second team offensive line that really that's, that seemed to, to cause some problems, but Walker Walker got to the outside. And I, I also liked what Jay Johnson did with him in the passing game that that can't be understated because if you can use him as a, on swing passes, I think he, he converted a third down on one swing pass and they got him out over the middle. That's a different way to, to use him to get him into space. And, and ultimately, that's what you want to do with that guy. You know, whether it's him creating it on his own, like he has on the ground quite a bit, or or if you're getting him in the passing game um, without Naylor. And, and we don't know what Naylor's status will be next week. He, he was out for the second straight week this week. I was looking back at some things. and remember Cody White played with a, a cast on his hand a couple years ago. So take that for what it's worth going into the Ohio state game. Cause I do think they need Naylor's speed and space and, and downfield threat, but, but they can also use Walker over the middle too. And I think they use that pretty well. They've used the tight ends again. I think Connor Hayward w- was a good, I think nine different receivers caught passes today. That's something. And I think the other thing too, is they used a lot of different receivers that you didn't see make catches guys yeah. like Christian Fitzpatrick and Keon Coleman and Terry Lockett. They were all, and there was, he missed Lockett. We were talking about that in the press box. Mm-hmm. He missed Lockett on one that would have been a touchdown pass, but they're getting a lot of different guys soaked as the old staff used to say to, to have them up and ready for, for whatever is necessary next week. 
No, I, I agree. And, and, and I thought, you know, the Montori Foster was, was the play on the, the, um, the flea flicker, right. It was the, and yeah. um, that uh, guy who they has been really impressive this year, but I, but I agree that like Naylor is a different, a different cat a little bit and, and is just more seasoned too. And, you know, and I think he also just in terms of scouting him, like he brings, you know, he lines up that is a different level of, okay, this guy is something you have to contend with. He's a track guy. Yeah. And and so the good news for his injury though, is while it, if it's a hand injury and it's a receiver, that's not good. It's not an injury where it's a lower body where you fall out of shape. Like there's no reason he can't right. be, you know, obviously there's a difference in adrenaline when you're in a football game, but he, he can be doing a lot of things to, to, you know, be in condition to play um, while, while he's out a couple of weeks. We'll see. I, I think that's important. He, Mel Tucker mentioned the idea of getting a couple guys back. We'll see which guys those are. Uh, I think in the defensive backfield, that could be, you know, important as you, <laughs> as you're trying to keep up with the number of receivers and, and, and throw different guys in there. And, and um, but yeah, no, I, I thought this was, this was ideal in a lot of ways for MSU and, and, you know, they, they've really earned this opportunity. I mean, that, you know, whatever happens next week, I think this is a moment to sort of, in, in certain ways, you, 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 they, they should hope it goes well. It's a barometer. It's, it's a measuring stick every bit the way Northwestern was a measuring stick for them uh, way back at the beginning of the season. They've graduated to sort of a different measuring stick. Yeah. Um, but it, it is also something to sort of salute the fact that you, you put yourself in this position. And, and, and Mel Tucker doesn't want to, you know, he, he was real careful about talking about this game and building it up. We're talking about anything, really. I mean, he's he's been playing everything really close to the vest and it's so, spitting cliche after cliche. And um, it's like whatever's working for right, him, that's man. the thing. You know, I mean, whatever's working for him. You know? Yeah, no, that's the thing. You can't argue with the results. He's not going to yeah. he's not going to say something that's going to deviate from the process and the messaging he wants for this team. Uh, it, it's brutal in our jobs um, because it's just not that interesting. It's like, yeah, uh, I mean, you're joking a combination of Saban and Belichick a little bit, but it, it's, um, you know, they're nine and one. And, and frankly, fans don't care if he says something interesting, they want him to be 10. Yeah. And one, right. I mean, that's, that's the reality of it. And um, the, um, if, and let's, 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 let's keep it clear though. We know Tucker can say things that are interesting. We've, yeah, seen, we've heard him say that. This is in-season winning mode, Tucker. I think that's a – there's kind of a difference. I think you see that with some coaches. D'Antonio was kind of like that. I can remember the 2016 season. I thought he was very uh, introspective and had some real good analysis on that. But when they were winning, you get a quip here and there. But for the most part, it was standard company line. Although, you know, the thing I remember about – D'Antonio, we've never we haven't seen Tucker in a while. I mean, I guess last year was a losing year. I thought one of D'Antonio's best years was the three and nine season, yeah, where he was interesting and he was humble and he was so you know at that point too, none of the stuff had really happened that um, made him sort of jaded and and defensive, you know. So he was just just the losing in one year of it, and and that was one of my favorite years actually covering him. But the um, I. Yeah, I mean, I, and Tucker's just I – mean, we know Tucker's not a boring person. We've seen, you know, and, and you know, if, if you've ever had a conversation with him outside of this realm, he's, 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 and he's engaging. So, yeah. I, you know, I, I, yeah, no, I don't think that's – that just is what it is. I do wish Xavier Henderson was the head coach sometime. We'll just do his Monday <laughs> press conference because Henderson's terrific. And, he, um, and he, had he, great, he had some great stuff to say about Noah Harvey, and I think Noah yeah. Harvey's game – was uh, I, I actually just finished writing about that 
Um, it was, you know, he steps in for Quivera's crouch, which that's one of those guys that you probably want to get back because he is a speed and space guy and linebacker with an athletic freak that can stop some of those guys. But I, I thought Noah Harvey played a workmanlike game for a kid who really had to to put a lot of ego in check after starting every game last year. Crouch comes in, Halliday jumps him. And he's been, I think he played like 92 snaps coming into the game. He played almost the entire game. I think Ben Van Summerham spelled him a little bit. Uh, he, he, was behind, he was behind Chase Klein for a while. He was. He yeah. was until Chase Klein transferred or right, got right. into the transfer portal. Um, so this was a big game for Noah Harvey. And and Xavier Henderson had a, I mean, he said no one gives more for this team. Uh, as he's so happy for him. He was a captain in this game because he of was. his effort on special team last week. He and was. Yeah, and no, I'm, I'm glad he essentially was a captain last year for that defense in the transition year. So it was nice to see him, especially after that pass interference call come up with the interception. But like I said earlier, those those blitzes really changed the game. Well, and that, so that's what and, and I'm glad you highlighted that. And, and I look forward to reading that because I, I think that, you know, one of the things that um, Harvey really helped them regain their identity as an opportunistic defense. And that's what they've been to this. I mean, they were they still go up yards. They still are, are vulnerable and, and susceptible to things. But what they have been all year is in the moments that they had to be great on the goal line when he picks, you know, when he has the interception on the, the timely blitz, the, the, you know, the, the, the fumble they come up with, those sort of things. That, that they've been there. They've been that defense all year. And they weren't last week. They really weren't. And they were against Michigan, though. They had the timely plays right at the end. Yeah. And so they, they need next week at Ohio State, you know, the bottom line is if they're not timely, if they don't create a turnover or two and they don't come up with a blitz that gets them Ohio State off the field a few times, they're going to get run out of the building. I think everybody knows that. They, they have to be sort of the best of what they have been at certain times this year. And for them, it has to be reassuring to sort of get back to some of that tonight and to do it with a guy who's a depth guy, who's been a part of the program, who isn't. You know, and and now you have faith in another guy next week, and and, uh, and and I would be very surprised if Noah Harvey isn't a big part of next week uh, on the field too. He might have to be. I mean, we don't know exactly what Crouch's status is, but he was not in uniform and on the sideline in street clothes. So again, another one of those take that for what it's worth. But I do think that going down to, by the way, going down to the horseshoe is going to be a little bit different of an environment than Ross Aid Stadium. Yes. As 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 electric as I think Ross Aid Stadium was in a smaller crowd, it's like that all the time. You don't you don't you don't get a nickname for your stadium without creating a hostile environment, right? But I, I think- not necessarily sure what Michigan State can tr- keep trying the woodshed and the deep end if students and and fans aren't showing up for games when you have a nine and one team. I, mean, I thought today, I thought that I, I wrote that in my quick takes. I got into that, and then Mel Tucker sort yeah. of me up uh, an hour later with the. A tweet about the students. It wasn't just the students, but the students who left. And you know, I mean, look, we I, saw that with D'Antonio's teams when they were winning too. When it would get to November and it's winning time, and you need a bigger hostile crowd. I think about that November. I think it was a November game against uh, Nebraska back in I think fourteen or fifteen that nobody was there in the second half, and that's the difference between. And I, I get, believe me, I get the weather, I get the understanding, but this is what. Tucker's fighting. This is what Tucker's trying to point out and change. When he talks about a culture change, that's a big part of it. 
Well, and the problem for MSU is that Mel Tucker has a choice whether he wants to stay and, and fight for that change or go somewhere where it already sort of exists. Right. And so he doesn't have to be in this battle. They aren't leaving the swamp in the fourth quarter. Yeah. And, and I understand people are pointing out there are attendance problems throughout college football this year, yeah. especially. It's an easy ticket everywhere because of COVID. LSU has not had great crowds. LSU is not a very good team. But an eight and one football team in November in a conference game with a Heisman Trophy candidate running back, I'm pretty sure that they would have a, a pretty packed place. And, and granted, they don't have the temperature issues. And 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 look, firearms. Listen, the Penn State game might be Michigan State fans' last chance to watch Kenneth Walker in person. At, at, well, at and, and the students won't be I won't be around. I mean, that's always a bad deal too with the timing of the, that break and everything. But um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I I do think that look. College football is going to go. I mean, TV is supplanted uh, the the in game experience. Uh, sorry, the gate revenue no already. Right, TV is more important, and that's why you have Maryland in the conference for their television market. And so you get Maryland coming in in mid November, and and so that that is all already been decided. And and in a lot of ways, I think the experience is going to go to fewer seats, more comfortable, better experience over the next twenty years in in, in major college sports, but. The bottom line is right now, it is it just doesn't look great. And you 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 start with sixty thousand, and, and there was you know, the crowd looked okay, but you're playing the 40,000 maybe in the second half of what's still a competitive game. Mm-hmm. And it 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 just it it was not a that wing of the stadium where the students left. I thought I. I and I, what I made know. it what made it such a stark difference is the last time that we were there and yeah. saw what that Michigan game was like. Um, you know, Michigan State, is Michigan State fans have it in them. It, it, it shouldn't just be for the Michigan game, particularly well, if you have. I mean, I think about uh, a friend of mine who grew up in East Lansing and went to some of those awful teams in the 80s and, and early part of the 90s. And fans would stay and, and fans would be there. Uh, but they, they but they would also have those games like the Northwestern game where there would be snowball fights and you know, throwing them at players and, and whatever, where there would be far fewer fans in the stands. But at the same point, if they had a nine and one team, I, I wonder if they would have still been there. I wonder if they would have been there like they were it it, it that Michigan game. But so, so that, that's is, a culture change that has that that if Michigan State fans want to kind of elevate it and and create this hostile environment it you can do whatever you want but it starts with the fans being there and being vocal and active no if you miss the Penn State game for hunting season I think that's your choice but you know if Mel Tucker decides his choice is to be somewhere where they make a different choice and you have to respect that too and we had this conversation in the press box Graham Sunday is the last day of both season Hunting season has already began look firearm season's Monday that's that's the biggie right that's that no and and I wish, like, to me, the fact that 60,000 people want to show up and watch your football team is incredible. Only in this country, in this culture, do we look at that as not a great crowd. Like, nothing else in Lansing, Michigan, or hardly anywhere in Michigan gets 60,000 people to come together and do anything. So I I, I do think that's uh, sometimes that's just our perspective as a country. I think what was worse to today was not the, the, the crowd at the beginning. I think it's how many people left at halftime. They came back out to a very different stadium. And because yeah. the first half stadium, there were some holes, but it wasn't that bad. It was a pretty good crowd. And, and, and you know, I get that it's a cold day. And, and, and there are a lot of people. Look, I, you know, I've gotten a call from somebody who had tickets looking to give them away late. And, you know, people I ran into either had them or didn't want to go. 
or uh, and there were I had two people who are still in situations where they're not comfortable because one situation with a child and something about being in a crowd yet. And so there's still some of that. It's not entirely yeah. apples to apples. And this doesn't necessarily have to be about this year either. Right. I think this is this is a longer-term thing that's gone on before Tucker got here and something that he wants to get corrected when and if he sticks around, which is another conversation for another podcast probably later in the week. But yeah. um, I, I do, though, I mean, going back to this game, we talked about this out of the break. This was a must-win game because this all of a sudden does make that Ohio State game that much. And there's a if Michigan State loses this game day is not there in Columbus. This isn't this is not as much of a, an interest. Now you've got a, a three-team race uh with two to play. And Ohio State has to play the other two contenders. So, you know, Michigan State has its destiny in its hand. Michigan doesn't have its destiny in its hand. Uh, unless Michigan State loses at Ohio State. So it's a fascinating two-week cycle in the Big Ten that, you know, who who would have thought that we would be covering Michigan State into this point, going to Columbus with a chance to to not only have the Big Ten title in its grasp, um, albeit a very tenuous grasp because you still got to beat Ohio State. That's right. a the, odd, the odds are bleak, right? I mean, it's yeah. it's a tough, tough thing. But we, we we've seen this before, and and you know what you don't know, and this is the we saw thing. Damian Terry and Tyler O'Connor go down there. Right. We also saw them in 2017 get beat 48 to three when they had an right. opportunity or something. So, although that was different, that wasn't quite this opportunity because they weren't really in the college playoff conversation at that point. But this this is a little bit elevated. This is a little more 2015 ish uh, in terms of opportunity, um, but it's. Yeah, I mean, we've seen them when they were in 2016, when they were a three and nine team, almost beat an undefeated Ohio State team. We, we saw in 2018 when they had no quarterback and no offense, only being down seven six deep in the third quarter yeah. for Ohio State. So we, we've seen them match up okay. And, and some of that's dependent on what Ohio State team you get in a given day, how ordinary and how uh, potent they are. And and um, you could Remember tell though, those were D'Antonio teams too. And, and, but nobody, nobody's, you could tell today, nobody in MSU was going to poke the bear. They were very, complimentary they they do not you don't say anything this week i think i actually think weirdly kenneth walker hurts them and helps them this week obviously kenneth walker helps them because yeah. he's a phenomenal player but the way when other teams are looking for a reason to shut you down it's like that guy's one of the lead i mean they've got their own heisman trophy candidate quarterback you're coming in with a heisman trophy mm-hmm. candidate running back and then they've got a, a freshman running back who they probably think is as good as walker and we'll want to make his point. And so, you know, I think that they'll be really motivated to shut down Kenneth Walker. Now, a lot of people are motivated to shut down Kenneth Walker. He's incredible. That's why he's a Heisman Trophy candidate. That, that may not be enough. Yeah. But I, I do think that removes – I mean, because you think about 2015, that game was for everything. And somehow Ohio State looked not focused and had a stupid game plan. And, and didn't run Ezekiel Elliott. Right. I mean, what was that? And And – and yet, part of that, Connor Cook was out, I think, which helped in certain ways because it was like, oh, they're missing their quarterback maybe or something like, I don't know. But What was, it, that, what was your score, 50-2? to two? I, I think I predicted 50-2 to two on the pregame radio show. Yeah. When, I found out, when I found out Cook was out, I thought this is going to go horribly. Yeah. And uh, I was one of my – I've had several predictions that have been off. That was one of them. Um, but, yeah, so I, I, I just think there is very little chance that Ohio State isn't – 
really keyed up for this one. And that's oh, absolutely. That's I mean, they've already got the one loss. This is, I mean, you get a second loss. Not only do you get bounced from the Big Ten title picture at that point, or put, you know, put in a very tenuous spot um, because I don't think that Michigan State uh, has a gimme with Penn State at the end either. Um, but but it also with that loss to Oregon earlier in the year, kind of puts you in that five six range again where they started um in the first college rank playoff rank so, so what's, what's interesting about the rankings where, where the rankings get interesting to me is only if michigan state loses um because if, if michigan state wins out they're in the playoff i think any big 10 team yeah. between ohio state michigan and, and michigan state that wins out in the playoff it's without question that where, where it gets interesting is if both michigan and michigan state lose to ohio state and both have beaten penn state and michigan state still has to do that you you wind up with a situation then how does that get ranked who does the rose bowl choose as a second those sort of things get there are a lot of that'll get really nasty and 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 interesting oh, yeah. um, but for now yeah, and i guess i guess when i said they they'd finish five or six that's that wouldn't even matter because they would be farther back with a loss to michigan state yeah right no yeah so, it, they'd it, be it, out they, of lose, they lose to michigan state they're out of, there there's a, i mean it, it, it truly is everything at stake i mean yeah. it, 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 it's and and that's if you're Michigan State, you just need one perfect day. <laughs> that's it. And that's it. You, have, you have it in you. I don't I don't know. And you need and and I think as much as you need one perfect day, you need Ohio State to be imperfect. Well, I do think it's also important to talk about this because when we talk about that that game in 15, Michael Geiger won that game. And the question of what's going on with Matt Coglin is is an interesting one. Um, because he he goes through warmups. He doesn't go through kickoffs. He's just focusing on, on the, the kicking duties, kicks the first PAT doesn't kick the second one and then kicks the other three that they, or the other two that they take after that um, doesn't handle any of the, the kickoff duties. You see the difference that he makes um, as a kickoff specialist um, with the touchbacks that he's had this year. And that's changed field position. And it's really, at times caused a, you, when you see all those yards that, that other teams have put up, give cr- some of that credit to Coglin because he's buried them and, yeah. and made them start from the 25 every time. So there's, there's more chances for it, but um, you know, you, you need a kicker. I mean, it, particularly if it gets into a close game situation and we don't know who the actual kicker is at this point, we know that Coglin went through PATs, but, what's his distance? Mel Tucker wasn't going to say and didn't expect him to really say um, why, you know, what do you do with a, a freshman on kickoffs? How do you minimize? Cause they were, because Maryland, I thought had some returns. They had some returnable kickoffs today and uh, you know, that, that changed field position and that gave them some shorter field to work with. So certainly a, a few things to kind of, the love D'Antonio is always the, the hidden yardage, right? Um, you know, that's that's at play there. But in particular, in a close game, you want a veteran kicker that can put one through the uprights like Geiger did that year. Right. No, I, I mean, the shame for MSU is, will be if they're close enough to have that situation and not don't have the kicker to execute it. Uh, the first challenge is obviously going to be to get yourself in that sort of position, um, you know, and We'll see. If it, it, it to me, uh, it, it's it, you know, I thought what you saw from Peyton Thorne today was promising. What you saw from Jaden Reed is promising. What you saw from elements of the defense at certain points, opportunistic wise, are promising. 
I also think there are going to have to be other things that go well. Maybe it's Naylor coming back. Maybe it's, um, you know, it's, things are going to have to go really, really well. That said, I mean, again, if they're freaking nine and one and playing Ohio State with everything on the line, I mean, and, I don't and know what we are. Here we are yeah. wondering about Indianapolis and potentially New York. Right. And not for the pinstripe bowl this time, but for a Heisman Trophy candidate. Um, it, it's been a fascinating year. And I think we talked about it before the year. It was going to be an interesting story to tell. I, I don't know if any of us would have expected these kind of interesting details to kind of emerge. But but that's the beauty of college sports and really sports in general. You just, you know, you can look at something and not have any idea. I don't care what other metrics you want. You Your metrics would not have predicted this. No, at the beginning of the year. No, because I think we all thought early on, even when they looked better than we anticipated, that at some point some of their flaws would get them beat when they didn't. And obviously they did against Purdue. But, I mean, Nebraska certainly. Um, Miami they figured out. But that game could have gone, you know, differently. Indiana they didn't play well. That could have gone another way. And Michigan game, the Michigan game, certainly. So, and none of those, none of those came to fruition. So I think that's, you know, if you're looking for hope and you're a Michigan state fan, you know, they didn't, Ohio state didn't run the Huskers out of the building. They didn't run Penn state out of the building. Those are not great football teams. Those are not teams that are any better than Michigan state. And so if you're looking for a reason to think MSU can be competitive, I think it's, it's those sort of games um, that might dare, dare I, dare I call Saturday's win over Maryland a program win. Don't do it. No, no. <laughs> I, I think it was though. Well, Bounce yeah. back win after a loss, and yeah, with, they had to with have another it. big game ahead of them. They had to have it. I think. I think Absolutely. what was important is they look like a more seasoned program in Maryland, and that was really critical because if they didn't, then you start to wonder what what else is coming this month. You know, I think everything from here out is house money. That the the Maryland game you had to have. Yeah. Um, kind of. I think particularly after the Purdue. Game. This this one here, I think, gets you to January first, regardless. Like I think Outback sort of, you know, is is becomes yeah. the floor after you know after this game, and 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 look, I'm not saying anybody should want two losses to end the season a nine and three year and 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 not finish stronger than that. But you know, if if the whenever the floor of your season gets to nine and three, Outback Bowl when you were predicted to have four and a half wins by Vegas in Mel Tucker's second year, I think that's a pretty, a pretty good. If you, if you don't see the words Belk or music city or <laughs> open air, geez, it's, you're fine. You know, I mean, you're, you're, you've had a really successful run. Yeah. No, although I'm still using the Roku, they gave us a media gift at the, uh, at the red box bowl. And I've got mine on in front of me and I've got my pinstripe <laughs> bowl hat behind me. Yeah. I didn't even know what a Roku was when they gave it to us. I brought it home. My wife was like, hey, we could use this. I was like, all right, well, <laughs> whatever. Life has um, changed. I, I now stream all of it. I can watch. Not right. only do I have the Roku stick, but I have YouTube TV and can watch the, the games on my phone in the press box, try and get a better gauge, even though I always miss every single replay. But that's who, a whole hey, other story. Who knew we were, who knew we were going to become millennials when, uh, when we were uh, – you know, just, in, just in time for the 2020s. By the way, I'll leave you. I'll leave us with this. I just got a text from a an odds maker. Not that I have lots of odds make odds makers <laughs> text me, but believes the early line on Ohio State is going to be uh, minus 14 and a half. Four. So we'll see. If, we'll see what circa and other things open with tomorrow. But that's I, you know what I want to see. 
I don't want to see the the spread. I want to see the over under. Mm. Yeah, well, we'll- I want to see. I want to see what that line is going to be set at because we could be watching a uh, little bit of uh, tennis in the horseshoe. It'd be a mighty interesting week. Um, that would well, be fun. No, I think so too. Look, look. Yeah, I think for Michigan State fans, uh, for people who cover the team, enjoy this stuff because I think you know. I mean, I, I've infamously joked once on uh, Ed Bleeding's radio show that I was hoping for a three and nine season after 2015, and and actually got it. Like, and just because I was looking for something different, a little more conflict, right? And I had no idea what was on the horizon and those seven and six seasons with just their offense, how just boring they were to cover in certain and, and just painstaking to watch. And, it, it, you know, I think Michigan State fans hope this is the something, the beginning of something, but to try to live in the present and enjoy what you can and, and, you know, whatever, whatever Michigan state is next week, whatever their truth winds up being, just live with it. We'll have complete coverage at freep.com, lsj.com, greenonwhite.com. Thanks for watching and listening. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.